Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ollinger calling signals. Takes the snap. Back to throw. Looks left. Throws left. Top by Quebec. At the 10. First down, Jets. What a catch by Quebec. The clock continues to run. Jerry Wilson drove Quebec down, and he is injured and flat on his back. Quebec has a concussion history, so this is an issue of deep concern. Welcome to the Underdog Jets podcast with Wayne Corbett and Robbie Sabo. Welcome back to the Underdog Jets podcast, Jets fans, episode number five. It is a Monday. And Wayne Corbett is here as always. Today we're going to be talking about slot receiver. It's a workmanlike job. It's a tough job. You have to venture over the middle where all the big boys are. You can't have fear. You can't have alligator arms. You can't have any of that in your head. You just have to get the job done. And that's what number 80 did. So we'll talk about slot receivers, the Jets current situation with slot receivers, the greatest of all time, whether or not Wayne Corbett is the godfather of slot receivers. We'll see what he has to say. And we'll also talk about retiring from football. Uh, The pains that come from it, the joys and the pains, and especially when it happens suddenly, you know, via injury. Wayne, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Robbie. Great to be doing episode five with you. And uh, like you said, you know, part of the conversation tonight is going to be great. Talk about the slot receivers and the history of it and, you know, where I belong with that. And uh, like I said, the second part, a little more serious, you know, talking mm-hmm. about, you know, players retiring and what it was like for me, you know, going through that. So we'll get into that, but i uh, definitely looking forward to uh, tonight's episode. Same here. Um, slot receivers, we'll start there. Jets, you know, they haven't, I was at practice recently, one of the OTAs, and they have a lot of slot type guys, to be honest, more than I thought, you know, especially in terms of depth. Obviously at the top, there's Crowder, there's Elijah Moore, there's Braxton Berrios, who's standing out right now at OTAs. I know there's a lot of injuries, a lot of, not a lot of no-shows, but Crowder's not there right now. So they're pretty good there right now. Um, in terms of all time, I would call you the godfather because, yes, there were slot receivers before you, but you were playing when the league started turning into an 11 personnel type league. You know, from your start in 95 through, 20, through 2005, the league drastically changed from pro personnel, 21 personnel to 11 personnel. 
So greatest of all time, who were some of the guys that you enjoyed watching operate from the slot? Um, you know, some of the guys were inside and out. One one guy I loved to watch was Tim Brown. Always watching him run run his routes and stuff like that. Now, there was guys, you know, before me like Ernest Givens, guys like that. And uh, another guy who I loved to watch and definitely admire was Andre Reed. So I got a chance to watch him twice a year, you know, when he was in the league. Just a tough guy. Take the hits, run down the middle. Um, as far as being the godfather, that was just great to hear Edelman and, and Amendola. Amendola say that to me because I'm I was humbled and I have as much respect for them as they had for me. But um, yeah, it wasn't a, really a thing. It wasn't really a thing when I came in the league and just kind of, kind of took it, you know. And then the, the whole third down, uh, you know, receiver thing, you know, people are like, "Oh, you're a third down receiver, third down specialist," and it bothered me because I you know, you. make catches on first and second. First, second down. And then I, my dad's like, you know, why, what does that bother you? I said, you know what? If they're going to call me third down specialist, I'm going to be the best there ever was. And that's why that's kind of the, you know, the mindset I took that I'm just going to focus on this and, uh, and, and make as many plays as possible. Cause that's the thing when you, the team, you know, the fans think you're punting and it's three and out and then you get the first down and then, then you get the first down. I mean, that's just what attracted fans to me, just continuing drives like, that. Right. And for the fans listening to this podcast, how did that Godfather thing come around with Edelman and Amendola? Oh, I just was in touch with Amendola about some stuff. And I said, if you're ever in town, you know, look me up. And he said, I'm coming to New York City. So I said, all right, I'll take you to uh, to get some good Italian food in New York City. He said, do you mind if I bring Edelman? I said, great. So uh, they both came and we had a long dinner and they're saying, you know, we don't call you Wayne. We call you the Godfather, Godfather slot. And I was like, wow, that's that's pretty funny. That's uh, that's pretty cool. And then we even took a picture outside afterwards. And um, Amandola said, uh, "Cross the middle till we die." That was the post, and said hashtag Godfather. And uh, actually, people were offended by it that I posted a picture of me with two Patriots. I'm like, dude. Uh, I'm like, relax. I'm like, you know, I could be friends with guys from from other teams, you know. So people, but people loved it, and you know, it was a great night. And to be considered one of their favorites is definitely an honor. Yeah, that uh, Patriot stuff's always going to be there, right? Yeah. But, you know, between football players, the respect is also going to always be there because you know how hard it is. And in terms of all time, I kind of think of Charlie Joyner as the first guy who really did it on a regular basis uh, with the Chargers uh, because that offensive scheme and everything they were doing. Al Davis, obviously, really started the, the slot look in the 70s but the Chargers really expanded it so Charlie Joyner and then Jerry Rice I mean even though it wasn't three receivers a lot for the Niners he operated out of the slot a lot so you don't talk about Rice in the slot but he was an excellent slot receiver yeah he well he can do it all inside now it didn't matter and then to put him in the slot and then John Taylor outside I mean who who, pick your point who are you going to get beat by you know what I mean? And actually it got to the point where teams are drafting slot receivers, but they're drafting uh, slide uh, nickelbacks, you know, to cover the slot. I remember, uh, remember Ted Cottrell came in uh, as our defense coordinator. And he said that he drafted Antoine Winfield to cover me twice a year in the slot just for that purpose. And I think um, receiver, maybe McDuffie, whatever on the dolphins mm-hmm. to, to, to cover those guys. And now it's, a, you know, it's a, you know, specific thing 
that uh, coaches are looking for specific talent. Yes. It's very, I mean, cause 11 personnel, three receivers have become so has become the true base in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, you know, we talk offensively with Crowder and more, but defensively there's a battle going on in camp with Michael Carter, the second who made some plays on Thursday. Uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday, he made some plays at OTAs, uh, picked off a Zach Wilson pass that was deflected in the end zone. So he's getting some looks. So, these guys, Gidry too, these guys have a, have to have a specific skill set. You got to be quick with your feet, with your hips. It's very tough operating from the inside. Um, about a year ago, I did a article outlining some of the greatest slot receivers of all time. I'm just going to throw some names out there and then see what you think about the guy. You mentioned Tim Brown already. Tim Brown, Notre Dame, he was excellent. He could do it all too, like Rice, which is amazing that they're both they were later in their careers, but they were both on the same team facing you guys. Yeah, that was that was tough, but uh, it was for you know a historian of the game like myself. It was it was pretty fun to watch watching them, uh, you know, interact out there and make plays like just back and forth one after another. How about because I know you were you were a Largent fan and a Rice fan. That's why you picked eighty. Yeah. Have you ever talked to Rice? Did you ever seek him out after a game? No, nah, I don't think I. I don't. You know what? I did. What was it? Oh, it was a, it was a game show where I did with him actually. It was a and game I show. Him. It was uh, uh, what's the one with the briefcases with uh, Howie Mandel? Deal or no deal? Yeah, I did that with him. I did that with like all these Hall of Famers, and I was like, "Why do you want me?" They're like, "I don't know." They asked for you. It was, it was, it was like Woodson and like Marshall and like. Come on, the Godfather doesn't say that. The Godfather doesn't say why do you. Uh, want I me? felt so out of place, but they're so welcoming to me. It was it was awesome. It was an awesome thing to do. But you know, I just. You know, I just kind of stay out of the way and don't bother nobody. But uh, those guys is it's nice because sometimes you meet your heroes and you're let down. But these guys that I met, I was like, wow, these are just great guys, great players. And they're just fun to be around. Deal or no deal. I'm trying to do some quick research on the fly, folks, but uh, I've never seen I've never seen the episode. I wonder if it aired. I have a picture. I have a picture of us on like the side. hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've ever posted it. We'll have I, to. I think I posted it and wrote like, "What doesn't belong here?" <laughs> it was me. Oh, I found it. I found it. And you know what? For the obviously, listen if you guys are listening on audio, search it on Twitter. I'll I'll retweet it. I'll try what'd to you, get Wayne to retweet what'd it. What you find? It's the picture from your account: Marshall Falk, Jerry Rice, Marcus Allen, and for the people on YouTube, you'll see it: uh, Dickerson, Cordell Stewart. <laughs> Right. Then there's you, Rod Woodson, and Terrell Davis. Yeah. What's, which one doesn't belong there? <laughs> <laughs> but you're the godfather. I you know, know, man. But I was I was thankful to be there. Like I said, I just minded my own business and kind of laughed at everybody and tried not to talk too much. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good picture. So Rice was a good guy, right? Yeah, they're all tremendous guys. So Tim Brown, getting back to slot. Tim Brown, Jerry Rice. I mean, Rice... He, when see, I actually tried to rank these guys, and I kind I mentioned Rice, but you since he did it all, since he was great, I didn't want to include him in the ranking. Wanted right. to keep it specific slot. Uh, Heinz Ward, he was definitely specific slot. And talking about crack back blocks, like we did the last episode, he might be the greatest blocking receiver of all time. Yeah, he's tough. You know what's crazy though? If he played today, 
he he would get penalized because yeah. you can't blindside, you know, come from outside in. You can't blind. So it, his name, his game went translated today, which would be a shame because he was a hell of a player, hell of a blocker. And he wasn't even a receiver right. in college. I think he was a quarterback. Yep. He started at quarterback. Yeah. He's a tremendous player. You know, I love watching him. Yeah. Ward was, and he coached with the Jets too recently. Um, I forgot where he went, to be honest, but he's uh, he's trying to put his hand in there as a coach. Yeah, I saw him at training camp. It was last year or the year before, and talking to him a little bit. Nice guy. Yeah. Next guy on the list, Andre Risen. Yeah. Which, interesting one. Bad Moon Risen. <laughs> yeah. Bad Moon Risen. Chris Berman, the Chris Berman nicknames. I think you were Wayne Alex Trebek. Yeah, yeah that was me. So I'm yep. glad to get a nickname. But he was something special, too. Um, shifty guy. Small, shifty guy. He made a lot of plays. Uh, in that in that offense, but uh, you know, just not a guy that people remember, but certainly one of the top ones. And something that kick started this new thing, slot receiver, was the run and shoot, where he played in Atlanta and they ran four receivers every play. So that kind of helped start this conversation. And the uh, guys from Houston too ran the same yeah. thing with Warren Moon. Those guys. Uh, just, there was another guy on the opposite side of a. Uh, of Ernest Givens, not sure which guy was, but they had uh they had some great years. Jefferson, who was who was on that team? Um, I forget, but yeah, we're I think Givens is on this list too. Yeah, so we'll we'll take a look. So Andre Risen, Andre Reed too. Yeah, he's like I said, I I admire him. Wanted to play like him, tough guy. You know, out there, uh, no sleeves. You know, just uh, my kind of guy. And I got a chance to do a you know, camp with him, I think something like that. And, uh, you know, I just told him how much I appreciated his play, you know, and uh, it was great. Cuts down too. D2 gets, yeah. you know, uh, D2 making it big. Julian Bruce Edelman. Harper. Bruce Harper went there too, I believe. It did Bruce Harper go to cuts down. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. It cuts down. He's, they've produced some guys in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Julian Edelman's on the list. I had him at number five. Um, Edelman, you know, Wes Welker, who's obviously on the list later. Edelman kind of just showed up out of nowhere, another quarterback. And that's another trend. Quarterbacks turn into slot receivers. Uh, he kind of showed up when Welker, and you knew he was being groomed to replace Welker. And eventually, once Welker moved on to Denver, it happened. Here's the thing about being a slot receiver. When you come in as a third, a third receiver, sometimes you're playing fullback. Sometimes you're playing tight end. You're not only playing a receiver, you need to know the responsibilities of a tight end that if you two guys blitz, you have a hot route. If this happens here, you got to know, you know, what everybody's doing. And generally, you know, quarterbacks can read defenses. So it helps guys like a Heinz Ward and guys like Julian, who used to be college quarterbacks, figure out the scheme and what everybody's trying to do to them. Yeah, it's it's a very versatile position. Um. Which is why you see, uh, to your point, a lot of quarterbacks take on that role. Right. So, yeah, Drew Hill might have been the guy you were thinking about at Houston. They had Haywood Jefferson, Drew Hill, uh, big-time receivers in the run and shoot, Yeah. which leads us to Ernest Givens, who's the next guy. Yeah, like I said, that whole that whole crew, that was uh, – if you, if you go back, I don't – statistically probably, but that was probably one of the best, you know, four receivers that a team – has had, you know, I've been a part of some good ones. I had, you know, two, three guys, but to have fourth guy like that, you know, it's tough to stop, especially with a quarterback like Warren Moon. Yeah, I think it was Givens who did that touchdown dance too, where I, I forget what it was called, but electric, something electric where he moved his whole body. It was an right. impossible dance. 
Uh, Charlie Joyner, number three. Uh, Air Coryell really started the whole thing with Dan Fouts putting up absurd numbers, breaking Namath, uh, Namath's 4,000 yard record, which we spoke about in the previous episode. So ch- I, this is the way I look at it. Charlie Joyner started the party and that's why I put him at number three. Gotcha. Uh, number two, Wes Welker. Now, Welker, he put up incredible statistics opposite Randy Moss with Brady, but that's pretty much the entire list. Welker, you, Welker, Joyner, Givens, and Edelman are probably the top five if you're excluding the Jerry Rices, the Tim Browns, who pretty much did it all. If you, if you, if you think about if someone asks you slot receivers, those are specific names that you would think of. Like you said, yeah. you wouldn't think of Jerry and Tim and Andre, even though they, they did it too. But um, like I said, you know, just to be considered in that group, you know, is definitely, definitely an honor. And like, like I said, I accepted that role. Like I said, if I was going to be that, I want to be the best there ever was. And hopefully I, you know, I, I showed, uh, you know, I could be close to the top. One guy I missed, Victor Cruz, too. We could touch on him. He he really was a hell of a slot player as well. Yeah, he didn't have as long as a career, but when he came in, he kind of took the league by storm, you know, and he had his dancing when he scored and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think uh, he's definitely one of the most beloved uh, New York Giant players there's been. Yeah, Jets fans have a tough taste with Victor Cruz because of the 2011 season where he went 99 yards and really turned the fortunes of both franchises. Right. He, yeah, he made some, some good plays. Like I said, he kind of took my storm. He wasn't as like, uh, you know, on the radar, uh, as some of the other guys they had on the team, but, uh, he had a hell of a career. And interesting, like you said on the first or second podcast, when you came in with Kotite, it was two receivers, you know? Yeah. It didn't really start until I would say, I mean, Parcells, sure, he ran three receivers with Diedrich Ward, so it probably started in the Parcells era. The The second year we were there, you know, um, Key came in, mm-hmm. Jeff Graham got signed, Webster got signed, and then Alex. So I actually don't think I started in the beginning, but uh, we went three receiver sets and I was in. Gotcha. And I actually had 80-something catches just coming in as a – the third, uh, third receiver. So that year was, but then when, you know, the, the Parcells came in, then we really took off and like specialized in three or three, four receiver sets. Did Diedrich Ward play slot sometimes too? Or was it mainly you in those early days? Nah, Diedrich was outside. He was outside all the time. Yeah. I was the only guy in the slot. Gotcha. So yeah, Diedrich, you, Keyshawn, like and Keyshawn left Coles. And they would put Richie Anderson in the slot sometimes or tight end in the slot. Gotcha. And Next topic, we'll close on this, retiring, you know, transitioning from slot to the topic of retirement is a apt one because, you know, it's tough. It's tough playing the slot, going over the middle, facing those Ray Lewis's, Zach Thomas's. Wayne, you retired in 2005. Everyone, if, you, if you're a real Jets fan, you remember the play. I was actually in the stadium that day, uh, sitting I think, you know, I only got to one or two games a year living in Northeast PA, but those are the worst. It was funny. Those are the worst seats I ever had at Giants Stadium. I think they were literally the last row in the corner of the end zone. But I remember it. I remember when it happens. Retirement. A lot of guys struggle with retirement, especially if it happens suddenly. 
how were you in 2005 when it all went down? Uh, like, like I said, it, you know, I don't talk about it. And when you asked what we wanted to talk about today, I said, you know what? There's a lot of stuff going on right now in the league and in, in, in the sports world, um, dealing with depression, mental illness and stuff like that. Here's the situation. When you've played a game that you love your whole life and you've done it for a living and you know, someday, you know, it's going to end, you know, and sometimes you're like, ah, oh, it'll never end. And then you're forced to retire, you know, and, and you're not ready for it. That's the worst feeling in the world. Like some t- people say, oh, you know, this is going to be my last year. It'll be a farewell tour and this and that. And then, or they, you know, they're happy about it. You know, they had a good career. Mine ended so suddenly, you know, I got knocked out. And when my head hit the ground, it was like, if you spark two rocks together, I saw a white, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear Lavernius. I could hear the trainer. And, um, Next thing I know, I'm in the car. Um, they, my wife said I was holding my my baby, just saying, "Did I get the first down? Did I catch it? Did I get the first down the whole way home?" So I woke up the next day, and like, I was like, "What happened?" She showed me, and I was like, "You know, you get emotional." I was like, "What's that mean?" It's like you're done. I was like, "That's it." You know? Did you? watch did you watch the play immediately or did you wait i saw it the next morning and like i said they said uh you know doctors don't want to take responsibility for you know brain damage and i understood it you know but sucked did did they so it was an immediate thing like they told you right away they said they retired me before i even left the stadium gotcha so you know this happens and i never went back to the complex, I was dealing with, you know, the headaches and the concussion effects and retiring at the same time. So emotionally I was a wreck, you know, mm-hmm. I stayed in my basement and I didn't come out, you know, I didn't want to be around, you know, I had a young kid who was, you know, baby was crying, couldn't deal with that, couldn't deal with light. And uh, just the depression that set in, you know, it took me probably a year to really get back to feeling normal and not having like that underwater feeling, you know, if you're ever underwater, you get that feeling like you, it's cloudy, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, they retired me before I left and I never went back to the complex at the end of the year. Um, they actually boxed up my locker and shipped it to me and they never went back because I just, I couldn't deal with uh, having to retire. I mean, I can understand you being depressed, but you're probably angry too at the same time, right? Because you know, it's one thing to feel like crap with the injury, but it's another to have it t- feel like it got just ripped away from you. Yeah. I mean, mentally, I was in no place to, to, to feel anything. I was just so numb. But my wife's like, you can't, you know, you can't do this to us. You know, every, you know, sounds like I understand. Now, previously, prior to that game, uh, did you know, were you aware of the risks? Did you know them? Did you not care? I mean, obviously you care about your family. There's no question about that. Right. But was it something that uh, I can imagine is something you were cognizant of, aware of? Yeah. I told them I'll always get up. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll always get up. And, you know, I told the trainers, if I ever got hurt, do never, ever bring the card out. I will walk off the field no matter what it is. And, um, you know, I had 13 
you know, documented concussions in my career. Two in college, I had 11 documented in the pros. And three times I had them back-to-back weeks. So after my ninth year, I was supposed to retire. And, uh, you know, I felt good after the season. I went into year 10. And I just was reborn. The grass was never greener. The sky was never bluer. I just felt so good to be out there. I never wanted to leave the field. Loved, loved everything about it. So I kind of the 11th year was kind of like a bonus. And then, um, you know, that happened. But, uh, you know, I got 11 years. You know, how can I complain about that? And people say, would you have played differently? You know, would you have gone out of bounds? Would you have went down? And I say, no. You know, with the same, you know, outcome happening, I don't think the people, the fans would have, my teammates would have appreciated me the same way for playing different. Right. And that's, listen, I mean, that's part of the reason you're so beloved. As we started this podcast, you know, I put you right behind Namath and that's part of the reason it's, if you're trying to do anything great in life, I kind of think about it this way. There are certain things you have to sacrifice and you know that you have to sacrifice going in. And when you look at the NFL today, some old school fans get upset at the way the rules are and you don't want to see it get pushed too far. But at the same time, you understand what they're doing based on some of the things that have happened. You know, uh, Mike Webster of the Steelers, uh, Junior Seau, all these stories. So from that regard, as time went on and you started hearing about more stories, did you ever think you know, man, should I should have done something differently? No. Listen, CTE is a real thing. I know I have it. There's nothing I could do about it. I just know how I feel. I mean, it's just good days, bad days. Today's a good day. You know, I'm thankful for that. But like I said, you know, I see receivers. They catch the ball. They dive at the defender's legs, you know, at their feet. They go out of bounds. Like I said, it's just something about fighting for an extra inch, fighting for an extra yard, getting the first down, making the block that people appreciated. Um, you know, maybe I should have done those things. Maybe it would extend in my career. But like I said, maybe it wouldn't have made me as beloved as I was playing any different. And I didn't know how to play any different. Like I said, my game was courage, part courage, part stupidity. I didn't care. I didn't care about getting hurt out there because I felt I could come back from anything. Right. You know what I mean? I didn't get insurance on my contract. You know, not everybody does that. You know, the quarterbacks do that. But I felt I can come back from any injury that I ever got, I would rehab from. This is one thing I cannot make my brain any better. There's nothing I could do about it. And uh, it was just time to to leave the game. And for people listening, you know, that mentality, that's a, that's a legit mentality that helps athletes get to where they want to get. And not just athletes, in any profession, you know, if you sacrifice and it's, it's a legit mentality. And, and some people would argue it's um, it's not a choice either. Some people just know, some people just play that way and they do it that way a hundred percent. And some others just don't know how to do it that way. So I I guess I kind of relate from or explain it and relate from that end. And interestingly in that last play too, third down, right. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, third and five, I got six. <laughs> yeah, Bollinger. I think Fitting. Bollinger was the quarterback, right? You know what? It just was it was up and away. And when I caught it, his, his hand was like under my thing. So when I landed, it was all his weight on me and my head just bounced. Right. But you know what? We, to go into today's 
that's why it's so exciting to have Coach Salah come out and say all gas, no breaks, because that's exactly how you need to play. It gets you going again. It gets you going. When I hear mm-hmm. stuff like that, that's how you have to play. You know what I mean? To to make your mark, to win the games, to win the championships. Guys, everybody has to play like that. You can't have guys that are half-assing it because that's when you get hurt. I always told my sons, if you don't know what you're doing, don't play. Because if you play half speed, that's when you get hurt. Yes. Play full speed, balls to the wall, every play you can, like it's your last. True. And I guess one last question, touching back on the, the retirement. Um, how long, you know, that first, you said it was rough at first, but was there anything that allowed you to break out of it as time went on? Um, you know what? At just some point, I was like, it's just time. It's just time to get out of the get out of the basement to start living my life again. And my wife felt the same way. It just got to, got to a point. I mean, she was amazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, you gotta get on with your life. And I was like, all right, I'm ready. Yeah, fill fill in that void. I mean, like I said, the, the injury is one thing, but compounding it with, you know, not your identity. It's your identity. Nothing can replace that. That's, I mean, that's I'm, you know, thing. I'm, you know, Wayne Corbett, the dad, the husband, you know, but the other, you know, you can't replace that feeling of, you know, that euphoria of, you know, playing and scoring touchdowns in front of millions of people and all that stuff. There's nothing, you know, except, you know, the birth of your child and your, your wedding, you know, there's nothing else that can compare to that. Yeah. And it's, it's the control too. You know, when you go balls to the wall, you're in control, right. You know, and not being in control anymore has probably got to be the toughest thing. Yeah. But like I said, I got 11 years that I wasn't supposed to get. (laughs) So how could I complain about that? I can't complain about anything, man. No. If you were to tell that story to Harry, was it the security guard? Yeah. On day one, you know, if you were to tell that story or he would have told you that story, you would have, you would not have believed him. Right. No. Like I, I took it year by year. And like I said, I got to 11. And when people ask me, how long did you play for five, six years? I was like, no, I got 11 years. Like, really? I'm like, yeah, I got 11 years out of it. What's the average career is like 3.5 years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So to make it, you know, three times that was a, uh, was a great feeling. Yes, sir. And uh, Jets fans, thank you for it. That's for sure. Yeah. And I'm thankful too. And that's, you know, the part of the reason that I'm doing the podcast just to interact with the fans again. I miss the fans. Terrible not being able to go to games this year and see the fans and go in the green room and on the field before the games and have a catch with the kids and, and all that stuff, you know, so hopefully we're back to normal this year. Cause I miss, I miss my Jets football. I, I talked to Connie Carberg. Um, yeah. Carney. Yep, Connie, who shares a birthday with Wayne, uh, with Namath, actually. I didn't know that. And um, I interviewed her last summer, right before the season started. And uh, she knew, and we all knew that there wouldn't be any fans. And her one quote, her one quote that really stood out was, I know Jets fans will get through this because next year will be that much sweeter. So when it was her birthday Monday, I shared the article with her and here we are. And it looks like we're going to be full capacity for this season. Yeah. Oh, uh, man. I, I wish for, for nothing more to that than get back in the stadium. It's right around the corner, folks. You know, OTAs now, mini camp, you know, then you got a month to wait before it really ramps up again with training camp. And we will both be here. 
Yeah. Um, like you said, there's lots to talk about. You know, today was a little depressing, but reminiscing about it is fun. Talking about the slot receivers is fun. But I just want people to understand, like, you know, what athletes can go through and there's people business world, teachers, all different kind of you know occupations that go through depression. And I understand that. But the whole point was just on making people, you know, understand that, you know, when the game ends that sudden for you, it's, it's tough. It's tough to handle. And like I said, you know, it, it got to the point after like a year, I just was like, I got a man up and just started looking at things a little different and appreciated everything I had. And, you know, that's like I said, just to let people know, you know, where I'm at, I'm happy, you know, I'm happy to be doing this, you know, I love life and love my jets. And, you know, it's not like changing jobs, like a, like no. a regular job where, where you're a salesman at one job and then you're a salesman at another job. Yes. That's a different thing in life, but for a professional athlete, you are in the spotlight. So you have people looking in on you and then suddenly when it, when you're by yourself, it's that much different. And that's what, it's kind of an unknown. And they that's the way me, I kind of look at it. Yeah. They asked me, what do you, you know, on an interview after I retire, what are you looking to do now? I said, I'm looking for another dare to be great situation. So after like, you know, two years of being retired, I actually went to become a financial advisor mm -hmm. and I studied for half a year and passed my series seven, got my series seven license, got my other licenses and was actually, you know, a financial advisor for 10 years. You know, I worked for Morgan Stanley for five years, Barclays, Stiefel. So, uh, you know, I love that for, for the time I did it, you know, I had fun with that, but, uh, I'm not going to stop. I'm always going to look for something to, to bring excitement and, uh, you know, gets the best out of me. Hear that Jets fans. Wayne wants excitement. He needs a challenge. <laughs> so yeah. the questions you send in challenge him because yes. I promise you, we're going to be doing a lot of cool things moving forward. A lot of cool things. So Wayne, any final thoughts? No, again, thanks for tuning in. Looking forward to some future shows. And if you get a chance Go back and listen to the first couple episodes. They're great. And uh, hopefully more to come. All right, Wayne. Thanks for being with me. And uh, Jets fans, episode five of the Underdog Jets podcast is in the books. Until next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.